Good evening, y'all. We are continuing our study of the seven churches of Revelation, and we are going to have part two of our study of the Church of Ephesus tonight. So we didn't finish it last week, but we're going to focus this week on one verse, which makes it really easy. We don't got too much to cover, so we can really break it down thoroughly. So Revelation chapter two, verse seven, if you're listening, then that's the passage to go to. And tonight we're going to talk about the broad issue of who is the overcomer. Because at the end of every single letter to the seven churches, it gives an exhortation slash promise that concerns those who overcome. And there are several different views about this. And so let's look at verse seven, chapter two, Revelation, he that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. So, let's talk about who the overcomer is. And the way we'll start is by looking at the different views. And then we'll just go, you know, one by one, checking out scripture and seeing if those views line up with it. So, the first view says that the overcomer is one who is saved and doesn't really answer the question of whether or not they're faithful. So it's just a saved person. So in first John, when it talks about believers who overcome like in first uh, John two thirteen, for example, when it talks about believers overcoming, it seems to be taken in a positional sense, like when you get saved, you overcome the wicked one because now you're out of his kingdom, you're in God's kingdom, you're eternally secure, you're indwelt by the Holy Spirit. And so there are some interpreters who would take it that way, and they would say at the end of every letter, what Jesus is doing is reminding the churches of what they have in him freely, and this is meant to provide them with encouragement and a motive to serve. So. When it says here, to him who overcometh, I will give to eat of the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. The people who hold that view would say this is something that all believers will experience by virtue of being saved. And that's it. Okay. So they wouldn't say that overcoming involves practical faithfulness. It should, right? I mean, these people should overcome in that sense, but they would say that it's referring to someone who's simply saved and uh, who is in Christ. The other views generally uh, what you'll find when you're checking out the commentators, the other views will define the overcomer differently. They will say that the overcomer is one who's faithful. So one who is saved and faithful. So this can take three different forms. The first form would be the overcomer is a faithful, saved person. And if you're not faithful, then you lose your salvation. So that's one view. So the overcomer is a person who can fail, but they don't fail. And so they receive all these blessings that are listed here. So that would be the view that you'd find probably um, in the commentator uh, or the commentaries of people like John Wesley, Joseph Benson, Adam Clark. Those are Methodist preachers. And so that idea would probably be prevalent in their writings. Then you have the next view, which is very popular among Reformed commentators. Uh, one modern example would be John MacArthur. He would take overcomers as saved people, 
and say that it is practical. Okay, so these are practically overcoming faithful believers, but only true believers are this way. So there are such a thing as false converts. Those people aren't overcomers. If you're really saved, you'll overcome. So those views, technically speaking, are different from each other. One says you lose your salvation. One say you prove your salvation. But essentially, when it comes down to, you know, practical implications, there's not a huge difference. You know, one would say your salvation's lost. One would say you never had it in the first place. But the whole point is, uh, if you're a saved person in the end, um, it requires works, right? Final salvation. Yes. Okay. So perseverance of the saints would be different than, let's say, John Wesley's view of, you know, loss of salvation. But in the end, if you're finally saved, it's because you did the work. You did um, what God commanded. You're faithful. Okay. Um, so those are some views. And then there's the last view, the fourth view, which says that this is referring to faithfulness. So an overcomer is not someone who is just saved. An overcomer is someone who is saved and obedient. And so in this letter, when he's talking to the Ephesians and he tells them that they need to remember their first love, you know, they need to go back to the beginning because they are leaving that first love. When he then at the end of the chapter says he who overcomes and then he promises that they will have this reward. It's all implying that they could fail, but the people who hold this view, free grace people, it's usually held by dispensational interpreters. They would say that no loss of salvation is threatened and believers aren't necessarily going to overcome. So it's, it's not taken for granted. So what, what's implied here is an exhortation to overcome. And if they do, then they'll receive this reward. And so this one to me is probably the most compelling view. The reason that a lot of people are hesitant to hold this view is because some of these blessings that are referred to, such as eating of the tree of life, they seem on the surface to be salvation blessings. And so a lot of people would say eating of the tree of life is clearly a salvation blessing. So this can't be a reward given to a class of Christians. This has to be something that all Christians have. But when we compare some verses here in Revelation, as we're going to do in a minute, we're going to see that tree, the tree of life, like the whole idea of the tree of life, it's a little bit more complicated okay, than just simply saying, well, you know, if you're a believer, you're going to eat of the tree of life. It's that simple. Okay. There's a little bit more information given in the book that help us, I think, make sense of things. So we're going to look at some of those right Sorry, now. Can you back up? Yeah, of course. What, what do you, What's your question? Back up and explain that to me again. The yeah. The fourth view. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So the fourth view is saying he who overcomes is a saved person who is also faithful. And because they are faithful, they will eat of the tree of life. And the key word there is eat of the tree of life. And so that's all believers. According to the fourth view. No, it is faithful believers who are in the eternal state eating of the tree of life. And they would, they would conceive eating of the tree of life as a blessing specifically for faithful believers. 
So if someone denies the faith, for example, they wouldn't lose their salvation, but they would forfeit the right to eat of the tree of life. So that's the fourth view. Now, again, the tree of life, I mean, what is, what is life? What are we talking about? Eternal life, right? So that automatically makes us think, okay, well, tree of life relates to salvation. And I think so. That's why I want to kind of interact a little bit with some different free grace writers because I've read a number of them and I haven't found anybody who suggests exactly what I'm going to suggest tonight. So I think that what happens with theology is we do sometimes get boxed into this view, that view, this view, that view. Mm -hmm. Ultimately it has to be God's word. Okay. So if I'm looking at these views and I find that God's words, not exactly supporting any of them, well, then you're going to have to add another view to the list. Okay. The one, which I believe trying to honestly interpret scripture under the Holy spirit's influence. That view is the one that I'm going to go with. Okay. So tonight I'm going to say that, uh, I, in the main, agree with the last view that overcomers are believers that are living sanctified lives. They are listening to what Jesus is saying here, and they're doing it. And because of that, they will be rewarded, and that the tree of life is one of those rewards. However, I, there is a nuance here, okay? I do believe that all believers, whether they're carnal or spiritual, will have some access to the tree of life. Okay, so that's why I want to look at some verses here that kind of show that not not all access to the tree of life is equal. Okay, so if we take tree of life here, just let's just broaden it for a second. If we take tree of life in general to be a reference to life eternal, okay, I do think it's a literal tree, but let's say it stands for life eternal. Okay, all Christians have life eternal. Right. But Jesus said in John 10, 10, I come to give life and life abundant. So that means that there is an abundant experience of life that believers who are abiding in him will experience. Those people who are producing fruit as they abide in the vine, those people, not only do they receive the blessings of the spirit in this life, okay, but there's also promises that apply to them here in Revelation pertaining to rewards in the kingdom to come. And so let's let's look at the tree of life because this is honestly one of the most fascinating subjects to me because... You know, ever since I was a kid, I've always wondered what does the tree of life fruit taste like? You know, mm. and I can't wait to get to heaven Steak. and, and not bite into that. Uyabana. What? Not uyabana. I have oh, no idea what what is that. It tastes like wet rags to me. Ooh. Well, yeah, I don't think it's gonna taste it like that. Taste like it's an, doesn't it's Scott Columbia. likes it? We oh, probably really? have wow. some in the freezer. I'll have to Thank try it do. sometime. You know. Well, I wet mean, rags. I've, I've already rags. I've already eaten the bugs. Yeah. You know? In other countries, so. it's called soursop, and I can understand that name. I got you. All right. Well, I'll have to try it sometime. It's, you have it for fruit. But anyways, for, soup, for, for juice. So, so anyways, let's look at some verses. First, I want us to look at a couple of verses in Proverbs. I just got finished reading this in my own quiet time. So, uh, Christy, you got your phone there. You can look this up real quick. Will you look up Proverbs 13, 12? And Scott, will you look up Proverbs 15, 4? Proverbs 13, 12. 13, 12 and 15, 4. Uh, 13, 12. 13, 12. Yeah, whenever you get there, just read it out loud. What version do you want it in? Just uh, any version's fine, I suppose. Okay. Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but when the desire comes, it is a tree of life. Okay. So when your desire is fulfilled, when your hope is fulfilled, it's a tree of life to you. Okay. Right. Read, read that next one in 15, 4. Yeah, a wholesome tongue is the tree of life. 
perseverance and it crushes the spirit. No, is that the word? No. Is that the word? The MEV? Yeah. Per- I don't I don't know. I don't have perverseness. Perverseness. I said I read it wrong. <laughs> perverseness. perverseness and it crushes the spirit. Is perverseness even correct English or is it perversity? What, is... What's the verse that we're learning in the kids' Bible study? Life and death is in the power of the tongue, and he that eat eats of it or shall eat of the tree. It's well, on the refrigerator. Hold on. But it's going with what he's talking yeah, about. Yeah, I, I when I uh, when I prepared for this earlier, um, and I was finding some of these references, I went to King's Bible Concordance because my my main translation is the KJV. I use the King's Bible Concordance. I'll just type in Tree of Life, and it'll pull up all the different verses that have Tree of Life in it. But um, these are just two examples. There there might be more, but the idea is Tree of Life here is used not in reference to eternal life tree of life here is is used to refer to a blessing so if you let's say you have a desire let's put in the context of prayer and you pray to god and god answers your prayer that desire being fulfilled is like a tree of life so clearly that's not referring to salvation that's just referring to a a life-giving blessing it enriches your life right and the wholesome tongue is a tree of life. So whenever ever y'all speak to me, wholesome, encouraging words, okay, that's a blessing to me. So tree of life here can be used to refer to blessings in general. Any any life-giving, life-enriching blessing is a tree of life. And Do you want to hear what this verse was? Sure, yeah. It was death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. Huh. Yeah, okay. Yeah, and, and it's probably somewhat related to that verse in 15.4 because it mentions the tree, the fruit, and, and a wholesome tongue. Okay, good. So those verses right there, which pertain to the tree of life, I think help me uh, you know, find the words as I'm describing the view that I'm going to share with y'all in just a second. I think that it kind of goes along with it. But uh, before I, I explain it, we got to look at another verse here. So look at Revelation 22, verse 2. So this is found in only um, only two chapters that describe the eternal state. I mean, I don't know about y'all, but I've read these chapters again and again and again um, over the years. And I go back to them often because this is all we have. Like, this is a clear description of heaven. And so I treasure it. But in uh, Revelation 22, 2, it says, In the midst of the street of it, the New Jerusalem, And on either side of the river was there the tree of life, which bare 12 manner of fruits and yielded her fruit every month. And the trees, or sorry, the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. Okay, so this verse right here is pertaining to the eternal state, but it's very, very similar to Ezekiel 47 verse 12. So I'm going to read that. I got it right here. This is referring to Jerusalem in the millennium. So we have to rightly divide God's word here. What Ezekiel is describing is not identical to what John is describing. John's describing the eternal state after the final judgment, after the millennium is over. What Ezekiel is describing is during that thousand years. But in Ezekiel 47 verse 12, it says, And by the river upon the bank thereof, on this side, on that side, shall grow all trees for meat. Now notice it does not mention in this verse the tree of life. It just says all trees, all manner of trees, whose leaf shall not fade, 
neither shall the fruit thereof be consumed. It shall bring forth new fruit according to his months, because their waters they issued out of the sanctuary, and the fruit thereof shall be for meat or food, and the leaf thereof for medicine. Okay, so this is really interesting because Same there's thing. there's definitely a parallel between these two verses. Now, the tree of life is not in view in Ezekiel 47, okay? This is during the millennium. This is where we have glorified saints living alongside natural body people. This is talking about the earthly Jerusalem. This is before the heavenly Jerusalem comes down out of heaven. But there's clearly a parallel. It's like the millennium is getting us one step closer to that final state of blessing that we read here at the end of Revelation. I have a question. Yes. The verse in Revelation also says that the leaves are for the healing of the nation. Yes, and we're going to talk about that because it's a very interesting word um, in Greek. So when it says that the trees yielded fruit every month and the leaves of the trees were healing of the nations, this roughly corresponds to the trees for food or meat and the trees for medicine or healing. Okay. Now in the eternal state, it clearly declares in verse number three of Revelation 22, there shall be no more curse. So that means there's no death. There's no suffering. There's no disease. So healing here in this context has to be understood differently than in Ezekiel. And in Ezekiel, the earth is still cursed, okay? There are going to be people with very long lifespans. Their lifespans probably are so long because of that healing property of the leaves that are mentioned in Ezekiel. So um, people are going to live very long during the millennium, but they're not going to be immortal unless they have a glorified body like we will because we're getting ours at the rapture. But in Revelation, this is after everybody's in the eternal state Paul says no one can inherit the kingdom of God in their regular flesh and blood bodies. Okay, that's why we need an incorruptible body. So everybody who's in the eternal state has a glorified body. So how could we imagine people with glorified bodies needing healing? Well, the word for healing here is therapeia, which sounds like therapy, therapy because that's where we get it from. Therapy means to attend to in the Greek here. It's actually a word also used to refer to household servants who would attend to the master, okay? And so here this refers to God attending to us. Um, Basically, after this world, with all of its curse, with all of its suffering, when we come into the eternal state, God's basically giving us therapy, okay? It's like when someone has extreme trauma, you know, we need therapy to get over that, all right? So he's giving us these leaves which provide healing. They they enrich our life. They enrich our experience. Okay. They help us forget. Buddy, is it pot? <laughs> <laughs> they help us forget the woes of the former state of things. Uh, but it's interesting you mentioned that. No, I don't think so. But uh, I do believe that the leaves the literally. Uh, listen, I'm not an allegorizer. I respect a lot of commentary commentators who spiritualize because sometimes I think they're on to something. But you know, I do believe in taking Revelation literally, all right? And if you've ever listened to this podcast, you know that about me. But right here, when it talks about leaves, I think they're literal leaves. I think this is a literal tree. It was in the Garden of Eden. It is in the final state. Um, but notice it says the leaves are for the healing of the nations, okay? And earlier, if you go back with me a little bit, go to chapter 21, Revelation, in verse number 24. And the nations of them which are saved shall walk in the light of it and the kings of the earth to bring their glory and honor into it. So we have the state of things after all is said and done, you got the nations. So I think that means ethnicities will be represented. I don't think that my ethnicity 
you know, uh, the language that I speak, I don't think that all of this will just disappear. I think it's part of who we are. Uh, I don't think there'll be any communication issues, obviously. I mean, we'll be in glorified bodies, however you communicate in those things. I mean, it's it's going to be, it's not going to be a problem. I mean, if, right? if everybody heard the apostles in their own language. That's right. I mean, that's exactly what I'm talking about. So I think that the way we think, the way we speak, uh, it is due in a large part uh, how we were raised, okay, our culture. So I don't think our culture will be obliterated. Uh, so there are nations and there are kings of those nations, but the nations are not made up of just everybody being a king, okay? There are kings over the nations. And that's why we need to go back to the writings of Christ um, in the uh, the gospels when he talks about the people who are, told, well done, good and faithful servant, you know, some have five cities, some have 10 cities. Okay. And so they have, you know, a differentiation uh, in terms of how much they reign over. But the idea is if you're rewarded, then you reign. And there was one servant in that parable of the minas and you can look this up and read it. It's in Luke. Um, I, I forgot the chapter off the top of my head, but it's easy search, but the parable of the minas, there's one servant at the very end who was unfaithful. Now, this servant is not killed, not cast into outer darkness, okay? This is different than the parable of the talents. This servant is differentiated from the enemies who are slaughtered, okay? The people who didn't want to have Jesus as the king over him, those people are killed. But this unfaithful servant, he simply has what was given to him taken away, okay? And he doesn't have any cities to reign over. So this, in my mind, would depict the carnal believer, and again, when we say carnal believer, exactly what do we mean? I think this is a person who consistently denies Christ in their life. So at some point in their life, they got saved. Okay. And maybe they started out good, but eventually they started making these decisions that took them away from a godly lifestyle. And they didn't repent of that. It became the norm for them. Those people who normally in their life are living carnally. Those Num are, they numbed their consciences. Yes. Those people are going to stand before the Lord one day. They're saved because they received the gift, but they're not going to be reigning over cities. They're certainly not going to be reigning over nations. Okay. So, uh, those people will be part of the nations who are saved, but they don't have that prominence that the Kings of the earth have. So there is going to be this difference in terms of, you know, some are reigning more actively with Christ than others. In a sense, we all reign. Um, we reign over death. You know, we have glorified bodies. Uh, we're going to have dominion over the animals, right? I mean, uh, it's not like animals are going to reign over carnal believers. That's absurd. So, I mean, we're all going to, we're all going to reign in some general sense, simply because we're there and we're partaking of the kingdom as children, as heirs. But some people have a more active role in reigning. Some people have a double portion of this inheritance that we have in Christ. And those are the overcomers. So this is where I haven't found anybody to exactly say what I'm saying, but when it talks about the tree, and it mentions the leaves and then the fruit. Okay. I think, and again, this is speculation on my part. I confess it. I think that the people who will be eating the fruit are the overcomers and the people who eat the leaves or partake of it in some sense, mm -hmm. those people will be Christians just in general. Everybody will have some access to the tree of life because the tree of life stands for life eternal. And if you're saved, you have a stake in life eternal. But like I mentioned earlier, there's life and there's life abundant. And so when we go back to Revelation 2, 7, when it mentions the overcomers, they're going to eat of the tree of life. This is no doubt a reference to them eating the fruit, which is for meat, which is for food. Mm -hmm. Okay. Now I want y'all to think about this. If you saw an apple tree, okay, are you going to go for the leaves? Are you going to go for the fruit? 
you're going to go for the fruit. Okay. So these leaves are amazing. They're wondrous. But if the leaves are amazing, imagine how amazing the fruit is. So I can almost imagine people all over the world, all the nations taking these leaves. Maybe they use them for spice oil. Yeah. Maybe they use them for oils. Maybe they use them for spicing their food. Maybe they use them for tea. Either way, it is going to be a therapy to them. Okay, this is going to be a miraculous, supernatural thing that they they participate in, and it's going to make their experience in heaven all the more enjoyable. But the people who have overcome, those people have access to the fruit, which is even better. Okay, and those people who have access to the fruit, and this is another interesting idea. Again, the word therapeia. Okay, it can directly refer to therapy or healing, or it can refer to a household servant. And so I wonder if you look at chapter 22, if we, we have an insight here, because it mentions in verse three, there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and of the lamb shall be in it and his servants shall serve him. Okay. Now, of course, in a general sense, we'll all serve God in whatever role he assigns us. But we know that the 24 elders, which we've been talking about on Sunday, okay, they have crowns. They reign. The, the 24 elders are even closer to the throne of God in Revelation four and five. Okay, so they're closer to God. They seem to have more access to God and they're wearing crowns, which illustrates that fact. So I can't help but wonder if because God in in his mind estimates overcoming and um, and victory, not in terms of, you know, being arrogant and prideful, but in terms of service, like those who serve, those who, you know, put themselves last, they will be made first. Mm -hmm. I think that it would make perfect sense in light of those biblical principles that the people who receive the fruit, the overcomers, they will serve the nations. So I have a feeling that the 24 elders being priest kings, they're priest kings. So yes, we get the king part of the analogy, but the priest part of the analogy would be they go between the throne of the father and the lamb and the nations. And so the people who receive these leaves who are of the nations, they receive them from the special servants of the Lord who partake of the fruit. And they take that, uh, that blessing of the leaves and they impart it to the nations. Um, and so it wouldn't be like, Hey, we're better than you. Look at us. We're eating the fruit and you don't get any. It's, yeah, because that attitude's not going to be in heaven. Exactly. That's what I'm saying. So they serve the nations. Okay. And so they're humbly taking of the tree of life and they're giving it to the nations. And of course, the nations are receiving this blessing. blessing and um, and they don't feel, I don't believe at all that we are going to live our life in turn. Let's say I'm a, I'm a carnal believer. After all is said and done, the Lord says, buddy, you don't get the fruit. Okay. I'm going to be perfectly happy with the leaves. I'm going to be perfectly happy with my place in God's kingdom. Okay. No one's going to be disappointed. Um, but it does teach that initially at the rapture, there is going to be a sense of loss. Okay. So while all tears will be wiped away and nobody in the eternal state is going to be complaining at all, they're in the glorified body bodies. They're perfectly holy. You know, they're not going to feel like they're missing out on anything. Uh, their conscience isn't going to be guilty or wounded. Um, initially there is going to be a sense of loss. And that's why I think we as Christians need to be telling our brothers and sisters, um, these sorts of things and reminding ourselves of them. So that way you know, we don't miss out on all of what God has in store for us. I know that I'm saved. I know I'm going to heaven. That's a free gift. But apparently, according to scripture, and Paul was, he was eagerly seeking, seeking to run this race so he could receive the prize, uh, you know, the, the upward prize of the calling of Jesus Christ. He wanted that prize. 
And he said, I haven't attained it yet. Like he says, I, I don't know that I'm going to get it. But by the time he writes second Timothy, he's like, I got a crown laid up for me. Mm. He knows it because he's in prison. He's, he's like, I'm giving my life for the Lord. And I know that he will reward that. Okay. But before that point, Paul couldn't know that he would persevere to the end. So I do believe that perseverance is very key in scripture, but perseverance is not something that our salvation hinges on, if that makes any sense. But uh, it does play into rewards. So in Revelation uh, 22, 2, when it talks about the fruits and the servants of God in verse 3, uh, my view is that all Christians, just for those who are listening and may not understand this, my view is that all Christians will have access to the tree of life, all of them. But the overcoming believers will have a better access, a deeper access than the carnal believers will. Okay. And just as you will have kings running over the nations, you'll have people that have the fruit and people that have the leaves. And so I, I don't think this is a stretch, um, but it may be something that we're not quite familiar with, or we wouldn't expect because I mean, my whole life I've been told like tree of life, mm-hmm. you know, if you're a Christian, you get to eat the fruit, but then you read revelation two, seven, and he says, overcomers will eat of the tree. Now, how do I know that, uh, how do I know that believers in general do have access to the tree? Well, right here, it says the nations of those that are saved have access to it. Okay. Nations is pretty broad. That would include everybody, but there's another verse here too, that goes along with this. And it's verse 14, revelation 22, verse 14. It says, blessed are they that do his commandments that they may have right to the tree of life and may enter in through the gates into the city. Now there are some free grace people who would take this verse and say, okay, well, there you have it. Uh, the only people who have right to the tree of life, and they would understand that in terms of eating the fruit. The only people that have right to the tree of life are those who obey his commandments. But the problem with that is in the second part of the verse, it says, and may enter in through the gates into the city. That is clearly a salvation blessing. Because if you keep reading in the text, verse 15, for without our dogs and sorcerers and whoremongers and murderers and idolaters and whosoever loveth and maketh a lie, that's characterizing the lost. So whatever blessing he is referring to in verse 14, this is a blessing that everybody gets. Okay. So when it says right to the tree of life may enter into the city through the gates, I think that is a general thing that all believers will have. So why does it say, blessed are those, blessed are they that do his commandments? So why, why does it mention commandments? If this is something that all believers get simply by virtue of believing in Jesus? Well, the first time that I read this in Revelation 22, I didn't know about all the theology and I didn't know about all the different views. And I'll tell you how I understood it. When I read this, I thought, oh, that's simply just saying those who are doing his commandments, those who are serving the Lord, and it's hard to serve the Lord. I mean, we experience suffering. We experience, you know, uh, the burden of temptation. Uh, we've not experienced persecution here in America, really, like other people have, but we, we do experience difficulty and it's simply an encouragement. It's just saying those of y'all who are serving the Lord and you're looking forward to these blessings. I just want you to know I haven't forgotten about you and you're going to have all those blessings that I tell you you're going to have. So sometimes God, he will say that the people who are doing the work, the people who are serving are going to get these salvation blessings. And you might think, oh, well, that means if you're not doing the work, you're not going to get the salvation blessings. But I think that that would be reading into that something that's not there. What he's simply saying here is those who are doing his commandments, those people are 
they're going to be encouraged when they read this verse because they're going to be reminded that all their work, all the hard work, all the suffering, it is light momentary affliction compared to the eternal weight of glory that one day they will experience. So I think that all believers are going to have some access to the tree of life. All believers are going to be in the city. Um, I know that there are going to be many dwelling places in the city. Uh, Jesus says that in John 14, since it's built very high and the throne of God is at the top, there may be an arrangement of dwelling places. The people who live closer to the top perhaps are people who were more faithful in their life than the people who are towards the bottom. Okay. Um, and that's, that's a possibility. We do sort of see something parallel to that. Like I said, in Revelation four, you know, you have the multitudes and then you have the elders and then you have the four beasts. There's this proximity rule there that uh, the elders are closer to the throne because they are the ones who have received the reward. They have the crown. Uh, But though there's going to be a difference of how saints experience eternity, all saints are going to have some access to that tree of life and all saints are going to enter in through the city gates. So there's one last passage of scripture that I think illuminates uh, what we're reading here in Revelation 22. Okay, so it is in 2 Thessalonians. And I, I do believe it's been a while since I talked about this, but I'm pretty sure that I had a podcast explaining these verses before. In fact, I think that was our most popular podcast, like the one that had 200 and 200 something views. It was a while back, um, but I talked about Revelation 22, 14 in that podcast. So if you go back, if you're listening and you want to you know, have a whole lesson just on this verse, then uh, all you gotta do is scroll down. I'm sure you'll find it on our website. But uh, anyways, in second Thessalonians, I find my notes here. Uh, chapter one, verse five, second Thessalonians, chapter one, verse five. Uh, the Thessalonians were experiencing persecution. They were experiencing hardship. And this is what Paul says to them. Uh, we'll go back to verse four, actually. So that we ourselves glory in you in the churches of God for your patience and faith and all your persecutions and tribulations that you endure, which is a manifest token of the righteous judgment of God that ye may be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which you suffer. Seeing it is a righteous thing with God to recompense tribulation to them that trouble you and to you who are troubled rest with us. When the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels and flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God, that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall be punished uh, with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power, when he shall come to be glorified in his saints and to be admired in all them that believe, because our testimony among you was believed in that day. Wherefore also we pray always for you, that our God would count you worthy of this calling and fulfill all the good pleasure of his goodness and the work of faith with power. So notice it says in verse five and in verse 11, and you see this in other places, by the way, in Paul's writings, worthy of the kingdom. He's saying that there is a sense in which the Thessalonians, as they remain faithful in persecution, there is a sense in which they're worthy of the kingdom. Now, of course, if you've read what Paul or any New Testament writer has said elsewhere, it's very clear that we could never be worthy of everlasting life, never worthy of our spot in the eternal kingdom. So what does he mean here? Well, whenever you're reading about Paul talking about justification or righteousness, uh, there are two different ways in which he'll use it. He'll talk about righteousness as an absolute righteousness we have through faith in Christ alone. 
That's what we need to get into heaven, okay? Nothing but perfection will do. But then there'll be other places where he says, be righteous. Or he'll say, this person is a holy person. This person is a faithful person. And he speaks of them as righteous and faithful and good. That's fine. Now, of course, Paul is not saying these people that he's commending are perfectly righteous. He's not saying to the Thessalonians, look, guys, y'all earned your salvation because you're worthy. That would contradict what he said elsewhere because mm-hmm. we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But there is a sense in which relatively, not absolutely, but relatively, we can be counted worthy of the kingdom because he says so right here. I'm not reading this into the text. He says it. He says in verse 11 again, he prays for them that our God would count you worthy of this calling. And in verse five, he says that you may be counted worthy of the kingdom for which you suffer. So again, going back to Revelation 22, verse two, okay, when it says, blessed are they that do his commandments, that they may have right to the tree of life and may enter in through the gates into the city. I think that what this is saying is those who are faithful, believers who don't just get in by the skin of their teeth, but who are being persecuted or they are resisting temptation Uh, resisting addicting habits, you know, fill in the blank. Those Christians who are overcoming, they are going to have access to the tree of life and they're going to have access to the city in a special sense. They're not just going to get into the kingdom because they've been saved. They're going to get into the kingdom because they've been saved and they've been counted worthy. Now, again, I'm not the only one um, who said something along these lines. I'm pulling this straight from scripture. Another place is uh, 2 Peter. I'm going to turn there real quick and read you a verse from 2 Peter because he says this exact same thing. In 2 Peter 1, let's see, i got to find the right verse. 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 10 and 11. Okay. Eventually I'll get there. Here we go. 2 Peter 1, 10 and 11. Wherefore the rather, brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, you shall never fall. For so an entrance shall be ministered unto you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So, of course, the verse 11 there abundantly indicates that you can enter the kingdom of God abundantly. Or you can be like the man described in 1 Corinthians 3, who his house burns down. He's saved as through the fire. He is saved, but with loss. And then there's verse 11 in 2 Peter 1. For so an entrance shall be ministered unto you abundantly. Okay. But look at verse 10 again. Wherefore the rather brethren give diligence to make your calling and election sure. Now what does sure mean? Okay. Um, as I've studied this and I've read a couple articles on it, it basically means it's like you've patted down, you've established it more thoroughly in a sense. Okay. So we're our calling and election, our salvation is already sure enough to give us a place in God's everlasting kingdom by virtue of faith in Jesus alone. That's all it takes to go to heaven. So if you're confused by what I've said tonight, understand that salvation is a free gift and all you have to do is receive it through faith. That's it. But there is a sense in which, though we're counted absolutely worthy by virtue of Christ, grace through faith, there is another sense on top of that, that we make our calling and election sure relatively. So that way, Paul could speak to the Thessalonians and say, you are going to be counted worthy. If you keep doing what you're doing now, you will be counted worthy of the kingdom. And Peter can say, 
you will make your calling and election sure, and you'll be given that abundant entrance into the kingdom. So I want, when I get into heaven, Jesus to be able to look at me and say, you've done good. You've done good. Like I saved you. I invested in you. I I gave life to you, not just for me to be there, but I gave life to you. So that way you could learn to be like me. I gave life to you. So that way you could share it with other people. I gave life to you so you could enjoy it to the fullest. And you have, you are worthy to enter this kingdom. Now, what would be the alternative? Okay. Well, let's say you don't do all of that. You receive the life, but you don't share it with people. You don't enjoy it to the fullest because your faith is stunted. You know, you're like a stubborn child. You disobey God. You live a carnal lifestyle. Okay. You're not sharing your faith with people. You're not being a testimony. Let's say God takes you out of the world early, like he did with some of the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 11. Okay. When you stand before God one day, when the rapture takes place and the judgment seat happens, it won't happen until then. Okay. So these people have already died. Like we're all going to stand before the Lord together. Okay. He's waiting on that event. That person, will they enter the kingdom? Yes. They're saved by grace through faith. Absolutely. They, they are counted worthy because they receive Jesus as their savior. But is he going to say, I got my investment out of you in the, in the practical sense? Like I gave you life so that way you could share life and you shared it. I gave you life so that way you could enjoy to the fullest. And you did. I gave you life so that way you could be righteous before this corrupt world. And you were. Will they hear those words? No, they won't. They're going to hear no cities for you. That's right. Okay. No fruit for you, (laughs) according to this (laughs) interpretation. So um, that balances, I think, scripture. I think it rightly divides it and makes sense of it because there are certain places where it's like Peter here. Okay. There's a sense in which you can enter the kingdom abundantly and you can make your salvation more sure. Okay. That's not adding to your salvation, guys. Okay. Salvation's already settled the moment you believe. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that there is almost like an additional reason why God can let you into the kingdom. It's like that the foundation is Jesus and everything that he did. Without that, we would never be able to get into heaven. But he's able to say, man, you put icing on top of the cake. It's like you, you garnished your salvation beautifully, just as you were meant to. And because of that, you're going to be a king. And there's going to be this grand procession that goes into the New Jerusalem. And you're going to bring the honor and glory of the nations into it. You're not going to be just there. You're not just going to be just saved. You're going to be a victorious overcomer. And so to me, I don't know about y'all, but it's, it's very appealing. I'm thankful uh, that the gospel tells me that if I fail, I'm still saved. I know that I'm accepted. I know that uh, the Lord will not turn me away when I stand before him one day, even if I failed in my Christian life. And that's because I've received salvation freely. But it appeals to me so much that I can give something to God. Not absolutely, because I'm very realistic about myself. I know that I don't deserve heaven at all. But to be able to take a crown, it's almost like God condescends in a way, doesn't he? It's like an additional condescension. Like God could say, look, the only reason any of you are here is because I paid for your sins. And that would be true, wouldn't it? Absolutely. But God somehow in his grace and his mercy brings himself to say, you are worthy. Somehow God says, you're not just saved, but I'm proud of you. I don't think that, I don't know, I'm thinking through all this. I'm thinking about people that have been persecuted 
throughout the ages. And if I compare myself to them, I'm nothing. I mean, I, I wouldn't disagree you know with I mean? that. Like, yeah, I wouldn't disagree like with we that. We are nothing. Like, so what? You know, we have a house church and we're, we're living in the U.S. Big deal. In try the doing Bible it Belt. in China. Yeah. In the Bible Belt. Yeah, try doing that in China or try doing that in Iran or mm-hmm. whatever other closed country like that. So, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I agree with that, but I, I would also say that, um, well, A, we can't control our circumstances, and God knows that. He knows that we were born here, and there was nothing we could do about that. And he scheduled uh, that. He set that up. And two, I think God would say, well, he who's faithful in little is faithful in much. Who's to say that we wouldn't also be faithful in that situation? God knows what we would or we wouldn't do. Mm. Um, and, and, and C, um, being faithful in the midst of persecution is not the only kind of faithfulness scripture talks about. It also talks about overcoming the flesh. Mm. It also talks about overcoming temptation. And, you know, we, we were talking about, you know, somebody struggling with alcohol addiction. Um, you know, my mom, she struggled with that and I saw her and I saw how hard that battle was. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and I think that in some cases that battle, um, that may be harder than anything else for that person. That person, my, I think my mom, I'm going to be honest with you. I think that if I was, if my mom was in a situation where she had to give her life for the Lord, she was persecuted. I think my mom would have done it hands down. Mm. I mean, my mom was the kind of person that you can ask Katie over here. Like she would, you know, she's just gotten a car accident because she was drinking and driving and she's laying on a gurney next to a person who's, um, in the hospital because they had a gunshot wound. And she's there sharing the gospel with this person saying like, I don't know the extent of your wounds, but you need to know Jesus. So that way, if you don't come out of here alive, you know where you're going when you die. And I think that my mom, you know, if someone put a gun to her head and said, you know, if you say you believe in Jesus, I'm going to take your life. My mom would say, you know, go ahead. Cause I just know my mom, but, but my mom had a different battle. My mom's battle Mm. was the battle of addiction and she lost that battle. I don't think that it was a, I don't think it was a gift. I think that she had all the strength supplied in the Holy spirit to accomplish it. But I, uh, and so I'm not saying that it's like, well, she could have done it and she didn't. Well, so there you go. All right. I sympathize. I understand. Okay. Um, not fully of course, cause I've not been there, but I saw what she went through and I know how hard it must've been. But, um, I do think that my mom, by making little decisions here and there, and I saw some of the decisions she made, there were certain points where she could have made a decision in this place in her life. And it would have set the pace. It would have changed the way she went. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe even when it wasn't the hardest, the decisions that she made when maybe she had some relief, you know, she was in a good phase in her life, uh, may have helped her overcome better in the long run. But the point that I'm trying to say is uh, my mom had an opportunity to overcome that addiction with the power of the Lord. And uh, it eventually took her life. So um, that would be an example of overcoming something um, for the Lord and being faithful to him, but yet it not being the same as persecution. So I don't know how God's going to weigh that, but mm. I, I agree with your sentiment hundred percent, Scott. Like, I, I feel like I'm not worthy when I think of people like Perpetua or, or I think mm. of, you know, John, who though he didn't die, you know, according to the tradition thrown into a pot of boiling oil. And I think of these people beheaded for their faith today in many places in the world, I think, well, I'm nothing. And I, and I don't, and honestly, I don't expect to get the same thing they do. Right. And whenever they get it, I'm going to cheer them on. And yeah, do I, and you really want the martyr's crown? I, that's what I'm saying. I, I, yeah, I want, it, right? I want to cheer them on and I want to say like, yes, they are worthy Lord. 
And when the Lord calls me up, I'm going to be like, all right, God, if I get anything, it's going to be like a plastic tiara, you know, like, <laughs> because I feel like I, I haven't done anything to deserve it. But again, God knows me and uh, he knows what I've gone through and God's going to be able to be the best judge of me. And, uh, and no one's going to question it. No one's going to challenge it. Mm. There might be someone who didn't live in a persecuted country and no one knew about him, but God knew their faithfulness. He knew all the trials that they went through that nobody else was aware of. And he's going to say, this person was an overcomer and that person will receive a reward. It's almost like the story of the parable where, you know, someone's been working there all day and then they yeah, get the yeah, same yeah, wage yeah. as the person mm-hmm. who came later. And so you, you can't question God's judgment. He knows all the contingencies and all the factors and we don't. But uh, I think the the general application for all of what we're talking about tonight is this. Salvation is free. So when we read in Revelation 2-7, he who overcomes will eat from the tree of life. It's not like a threat being like hung over their head, you know, like that sort of Damocles. Like if you don't persevere, then you'll lose your salvation. If you don't persevere, you're you know, you're not a true believer anyways, and you won't get the tree of life. I don't think that's what it is at all. I think he's saying to the people that he's already called a church. You can be a fruitarian or you can be a vegetarian. <laughs> yeah, basically. So, you, you know, he said, you're a star in my hand. Like I've already got you and whoever's in my hand can't be taken out. And I'm going to raise you up on the last day. And these are all things that we can, we can count on because it's free. But he's saying like, if you overcome, because you've got your own specific set of circumstances. And by the way, every church had their own problems but they were all given the challenge to overcome mm-hmm. and, and different rewards were mentioned in each case. But um, you know, in the case of the church at Ephesus, like what was their main issue? Like, what were they not overcoming? Like they had already overcome in the sense of, you know, fighting back against heresy, the Nicolaitans and mm-hmm. stuff. But uh, the main thing was they had left their first love. Mm-hmm. It may seem like a very small trial, right? To just get back that enthusiasm, to get back that love that you had when you first received Christ. But that was what they needed to do. He's like, he who overcomes, I'm telling you, like, y'all don't think this is a big issue, but it is. Like, I can see your heart. It may not seem like you're, you know, being unfaithful to other Christians. They may look at you and say, you're an awesome church. You know, and a lot of people may look at a church and say, man, they're awesome. But there are problems there that, you know, Christ is aware of. Yeah, other people aren't. um, um, Rich kids or famous people's kids. I've heard it said that, oh, well, look at them. They've, they've got it so easy. They have this lifestyle that, mm-hmm. you know, they can do anything with their lives. And yet, you know, they fall into the addiction. They fall into this and their world crashes around them. Yeah. Or they feel but, inadequate because they can't live up to the parents' expectations. Or, but, but my point is people will look at them and think, why would you do that? Because look at you. You've got all the money in the world. But in fact, your life is even harder Yeah, because they have all of that stuff. Exactly. So, I mean, you could... <laughs> You could look at the church at Ephesus and be reading through it and be like, man, there's not a whole lot of negative things here. Like y'all are doing such a good job. Like y'all got it good, right? I mean, surely the Lord at the rapture is going to say, awesome job, Ephesus. But then he gets down to the bottom and says, but I got something against you. Mm. And you're like, oh, what? I didn't think there was anything. Like they're not sexually immoral. They're fighting Mm. back against heresy. He's like, you left your first love. You've forgotten why you're supposed to be doing all this in the first Mm. place because you love me, you know? And and so you're starting to get a little hardened in your heart. Going through the motions. Yeah. Following the rules. Yeah. And go following the rules, you know, and uh, forgetting that it's all about him and a relationship with him. And so, like I said, there are lots of different struggles that we have. And my struggles aren't going to be the same as, you know, the next guys. I have OCD. I know that's one of my big struggles. Mm-hmm. Like um, I have a doubting disease. Okay. I, I have been on my knees overwhelmed 
and this is a neurological thing I know, but I mean, there's been a time where I've been on my knees, like, God, are you there? Like, I'm terrified that you don't exist Mm. and on my knees crying over it. And, uh, you know, one day not being that way at all. And the next day being that way. And, uh, it's been a really terrible cross to bear. You can ask Katie. Like, I mean, I get stuck in my head and I'll be in my head. There've been times I've been in my head for months and months and, uh, other people don't see it. She sees it cause I'm around her and I'm more open and vulnerable with her cause she's my wife. But, um, I know that the Lord sees that. And I know that I've come very far in the and past few years. you don't see what's going on in the spirit realm and how you're under attack. Absolutely. And I know that it's not just the neurology. I a hundred percent believe that it's demonic. I think that they, it's a thorn in the flesh. You know, it's, it's like something that it may have a fleshly material explanation, right? But it's something that a messenger of Satan uses. Mm-hmm. Uh, to provoke and to frustrate and distract me from what I need to do. So God knows my struggles and there'll probably be others that I'm not even aware of right now. Okay. So that's the biggest one that I can think of. And, and, you know, the, the tragedies that me and Katie have had to experience, you know, loss of loved ones and, you know, loss of, uh, you know, uh, stillborn, you know, our, our son Saxon, and then, you know, miscarriage. That's, you know, I never really understood it until I went through it. Other people talk about it, but, um, so, you know, we all have our struggles and those are moments that test your faith. But an overcomer is one who clings to the promises of God. An overcomer isn't someone like we were talking about on Wednesday, Scott. It's not someone who's like, all right, I'm going to grip my teeth and I'm going to do all this in my yeah, own strength. Yeah, yeah. An overcomer is not someone who says, all right, God, I got this. All right, I don't need your help. I'm going to do this for you. It's quite the opposite. It's quite the opposite. It's like I said, it's counterintuitive, but it's like, God, I can overcome, but I overcome by letting you carry me. Yeah. You know? Every, I can do anything through Christ. Through Christ, right? Not through me, through That's Christ. Right. And more grace. I need more grace. I need more strength. I need more faith. I don't need more work. You know, I don't need more effort. I need to trust in Christ's goodness and and allow it to transform me. And so um, it's something that uh, it becomes a spiritual science and we get better at it, you know, as we diligently seek him and, you know, go to him prayerfully and we develop that relationship. And I certainly haven't perfected. I'm still working on it. But uh, in short, the promises to the overcomers are promises that I know that if I don't get, let's say I don't get that uh, fruit of the tree of life and I just got the leaves. Or let's say I don't get the crown because it mentions a crown in one of these letters. Let's say I don't get the crown. Okay. I'm just there. I'm going to be praising God just as loudly as anybody else. I may not have a crown to throw at his feet, but I'm going to have some singing and it's going to sound good. It's going to sound a whole lot better than it does now. And I'm going to praise him all the same. And I'm going to be happy that I'm there. And I'm going to be happy that I'm there because of him and only because of him. Are you sure that there's a promise that you're going to get a better voice? Because I'm pretty sure he doesn't care. <laughs> the, the voice on the oh, voice. I hope so, Lord. You know, he might be like, that's for overcomers, buddy. If you want that, <laughs> you want you that better. You just keep making a joyful noise. Oh, it'll be joyful. Okay. And the Lord's going to be happy with it. Okay. And so anyways, we'll talk more about these rewards because I'm excited about it. Like some of them are really interesting, like the hidden manna. Um, it's hidden. We don't know anything really about it, but I mm. like talking about it all the same. Uh, and I think about like the table of showbread, like only the priests were able to go in there and eat the table of showbread. Like all the Israelites were God's people. They were all blessed except for David and his guys. That's yeah, of course I knew that thing. was going to yeah. come up, you know, <laughs> yeah. God made an exception for them, but I mean, it was a special intimacy. Like, I mean, imagine a priest going in there and like, this is something that they knew other Israelites didn't experience, but they got to go in there, the holy place they saw the the beautiful light of the candlestick glitter off the gold mm-hmm. and they got to eat that bread there and they knew that God was just in the next room right there, oh, like overshadowing them. And so 
Um, that was an amazing privilege that they had. Well, here's the good news in the new covenant. It's not limited to your tribe. You know, it's not like, all right, sorry, buddy. You know, you're from North Georgia. Right. You know, you don't get that hidden man. You don't get that showbread. Um, this is something that's given to the overcomers, you know? So um, that hidden manna, that name on the white stone, all those things, we're going to talk about them. And as much as we can determine, uh, we're going to try to explain what they mean. But again, it's tantalizing. God doesn't tell us all the details because he wants us to really look forward to it. And uh, so hopefully some of that made sense tonight and hopefully you will come back and listen to us again. God bless.